0: So we're going over the the story of Esther uh, these past couple of weeks. Tonight is the final night, the closing, uh, the last two chapters of Esther. Uh, And the title of our series is Where is God? And we called it that because throughout the entire story of Esther, we do not see the mention of God once in this whole package. Package? Passage. (laughs) Book. (laughs) Yet we see his fingerprints all over the story. He's he's everywhere to be found. So I'm going to give you guys a quick recap of what's happened so far to catch you up if you haven't been here. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, or if you just all of a sudden forgot since last week. So it's going to be quick. So Xerxes is a uh, king of Persia. He's crazy. He's nuts. Uh, he takes a young girl named Esther to be his wife, more like a, a glorified slave, uh, just kind of his favorite, and he gets to call her his wife. Uh, Xerxes has a right-hand man named Haman, uh, and Haman is not just his right-hand man. He has Xerxes' signet ring, meaning that Haman could write whatever decree, law, whatever he feels like it, stamp Xerxes' uh, seal on it with that ring, and they'll call it good. So Haman, being so, I guess, high up, uh, just below Xerxes, but above everyone else, decides, you know, I want people to bow down to me. So he's um, demanding people bow down to him, but one man doesn't. Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is Esther's uh, guardian. He does not bow down to, to Haman. And Haman gets mad. So what does he do? The only logical thing is he sets out a a decree, to um, kill all the Jews. <inaudible> Mordecai is a Jew, by the way. Exactly. See, so he decides, okay, well, let's set out a decree to kill all the Jews, a.k.a. Mordecai, which also means Esther is also Jewish, uh, and says, okay, well, what day should we do it? So he rolls some dice, and decides to do it on the 13th day of Adar. So as time you know, kind of passes by, Haman starts to get a little impatient, uh, walks around Mordecai, a little bit more Mordecai, still does not bow Uh, He gets real mad uh, and decides, or his wife gives him the idea, hey, why don't you build a spike and just drop Mordecai on the spike. Now, the spike he built is 75 feet high. I don't know where they would have dropped him from. (laughs) Are they going to launch him over with a catapult or something? Like, what building is that tall in that time? It's like as tall as this entire church building. So he has that plan set. He's like, okay, cool, I'm going to drop him on the spike. and The decree is going to go through. Everyone will be happy. Uh, so what Esther decides to do is he, she decides to invite the king and Haman over for dinner one night. And the king, she invites him over for dinner, uh, sets this whole big thing out. Uh, and the king says, well, what, what would you like? You could have anything up to half of my kingdom. And she says, okay, um, come back next time and you'll find out. It's like, okay, cool. So they, they come back for a, another dinner and Haman, Haman's on his high horse at this point. You know, He is at a, a, a feast with just him and the king. Or him and Xerxes and Esther, the queen. Excuse me. So he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. But Esther rats him out. Says, hey, Xerxes, Haman wants to kill all the Jews. By the way, I'm Jewish, so we should do something about this. So Xerxes is mad. He's like, how dare you? How dare you? And he's had a little bit to drink, so he's a little off the rails at this point. He storms off. um, And one of the servants, one of his Xerxes' servants, uh, says, hey, hey, man, um, Haman built a spike way over there. Why don't you just drop him on it? Okay, that's a great idea. So he comes back inside. He drops Haman on the spike, and Haman is dead. Now there's a big plot twist. Plot twist. No, no, no. it's not a spoiler. You we were here last week. Uh, Mordecai. <laughs> Mordecai becomes Xerxes' right hand man after this. Mordecai, of all people, right? And he gets Xerxes' uh, signet ring, so that he can start, you know, making some changes for good for for the country of Persia. Now, unfortunately Xerxes can't go, okay, boom, that decree is gone. That can't be done. But what Mordecai was allowed to do is create another decree to counteract that decree. So he creates another decree saying that on the 13th day of Adar (coughs) the Jews can fight back. They can defend themselves. That's the story so far. You guys keeping up? Good. All right. now we're here. Um, so throughout this entire story, uh, like I mentioned before, we have not seen the mention of God once in the story, yet his silence is so loud, it's deafening. Make sense? Yeah. Exactly. So a couple of examples. A couple of examples um, is, well, A, Haman is exposed for his deceit, at, you know, for one. like who? This is a guy who is so high up on that totem pole that it would have been nearly impossible to be exposed, but he was. Uh, a new decree was issued that's going to save all the Jews in Persia. That's going to give them a, a fighting chance so they don't get annihilated. And Mordecai has brought it to be Xerxes' right-hand man. So there's a couple examples of how um, God is working uh, in this in this story. So, time passes. The 13th day of Adar arrives. The Jews are able to defend themselves with Mordecai's new decree. On the 13th day, they are able to defend themselves and take their plunder. Um, And over here in Esther 9, verses 12 to 13, I'll have it on the screen. You don't need to look at your phones for this. Uh, It says, on the 13th day, The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman. What? The ten sons of Haman. He had ten sons. That's a lot of sons. Uh, In the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. This is Xerxes talking to Esther. It will be given to you. What is your request? It will also be granted. Esther responds. If it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. Like father like sons. Right? That's crazy. Like hey, yeah, let's do this for another day. Um... Yeah, let them let them defend themselves for another day, because there are probably some people out there who are pretty mad, and they would probably go after them. So, once this happens, uh, Purim, Purim, Purim is established. Uh, It is a day celebrated on the fourteenth of Adar, and it's a celebration of God's deliverance from the Jews from total annihilation. It's a time that they uh, use on or they they take on uh, annually. To remember God's provision uh, and salvation, you know, remember how He He saved them from total annihilation, not just you know from a couple angry people, but from everybody around Persia. Because at this time, people in Persia hated the Jews; they hated them. So it's pretty amazing that even Mordecai, a Jew, is second in command next to Xerxes. So, which brings me to my ultimate plot twist here: Mordecai was second in rank to King Xerxes preeminent among the Jews, and he was held very highly um, by his fellow Jews, too. So the Jews respected him. They knew who he was, and now he's way up there. Now, that can't be just easily attained. Could you imagine, like, say, hypothetically, everybody in America hated me? Well, no, 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 it's hypothetically. Trust me. They hated me, and all of a sudden, I you know, start making the rules around here, that would be crazy. How would that happen if everybody hates me or if a lot of people hate me? That's, it's, I don't need the distractions right now. Thank you. Um, that, yeah, that, that's just nothing but divine intervention at that point. That's just... Not, only God can make that happen at that point. So... Sorry, I kind of powered through that story. <laughs> so this story of Esther is just, again, an awesome example of how God uh, is involved in our lives when we don't directly see it. Like I said... God's fingerprints are all over the story. Um, If you guys haven't caught on yet, uh, when Curtis uh, called Claire and I up to be the games, he called me Mark the Russian. Uh, He doesn't just call me Mark the Russian because of my good looks. Um, It is because I am actually Russian, (gasps) right? My parents were born and raised uh, in Russia, and they came here. I was born and raised here. So, hence my accent. So I'm going to tell you guys a story of how my family over in, at the time, it was the Soviet Union, not just Russia, uh, had, uh, went through a very difficult time where they um, had a hard time seeing God's involvement in their lives. Now You guys have, might have heard this story a little bit, but I'm going to tell it to you in a little bit more detail. So the Soviet Union, it was a communist country. Um, it was around from 1922 to 1991 was the fall. Um, in that country, because it was a Soviet country, they did not allow religion. They did not allow Christianity. They did not allow um, anything that the government thought, eh, I don't like it, kind of thing. So um, at the time, my grandpa and his family, my grandpa grew up in a Christian home during this time. So growing up, uh, always being in fear, right? That's just like me, but with less facial hair. That's nuts, right? I need to... That's crazy. (laughs) So that's my grandpa um, when he was very, very young. You want me to look out? I got you. No, I don't want to do it that way. Okay, so he grew up in a Christian home, constantly in hiding, in constant fear of uh, what's going to happen to their family because they lived in a communist country. So my grandpa, uh, when he became old enough, he did the only logical thing and he became a pastor and started multiple underground churches in a communist country. Now, I say multiple underground churches, meaning that word got around that there was a guy who was starting underground churches, keeping the faith alive in a country where the faith was not allowed. So, what happened was, when he was about 35 years old, so just a little older than Curtis, like this picture, the KGB er broke into his home in the middle of the night and arrested him. My mom was telling me the story. She said, I remember waking up, she was seven at the time, she said, I remember waking up and I heard my, my dad ask the KGB agents, before we go, can I pray real quick? they said, yeah, sure, you can pray real quick. So he prayed. So they set him into prison. Uh, he was there for three years. Three years go by. He's out. Goes right back into the work that he was doing before. Two years later, the KGB breaks into his home again in the middle of the night and arrests him again. But this time they think, okay, well, you didn't learn your lesson the first time, so we're going to teach you a bigger lesson. You're going to be in prison for five years now. So he's in prison for another five years for his faith. Five years go by. He gets out. He goes to his um, core group of of leaders uh, within his churches. There was at least ten of them. I don't know. My mom doesn't remember exactly how many there were when she was telling me the story, but there were at least ten of them. Uh, and he was talking to them saying, listen, we gotta go down to Moscow and talk to the federal government about what's going on. Because, you know, in the conditions they were growing up in there was such a lack of communication. They didn't know that the you know, they didn't know if the federal government knew what was going on. So they thought we're gonna take it in our own hands and go Um, tell them what's going on. So my grandpa turns to those leaders, and I'm telling you, this is at least 10 people here, turns to them and says, listen, if you're not ready to die, don't come to Moscow. Because going to prison is the least of your problems at this point. They will kill you for this if they feel like it. So uh, the day comes where they decide to go to Moscow. Three of them show up. My grandpa is one of the three. They're on the train, going to Moscow, and who else but followed them but a couple of KGB agents who later arrested my grandpa for a third time. And this time they stuck him in for three years. After that three years, they immediately decided we're going to stick him in for another year and a half. So total, he spent 12 years, 12 and a half years in prison for his faith. Not only that, my grandpa had a wife and eight kids, eight kids. Now the the government thought that you know Christian uh, people cannot raise kids correctly, so they threatened my grandmother and said, "Listen, if you keep uh, following your husband and doing what he's doing, we're going to take your kids away." And my mom has told me multiple times, I remember I'd have friends, these are her words, I remember I had friends in the school that all of a sudden would disappear. I'd never hear or see from them again. They'd just be gone. So when they threatened my grandmother, what does she do? She takes her kids and she spreads them all over Russia. They were away, separated and hiding, living with other families, living in different cities and villages, traveling around a lot, not knowing what's going on for about a year. Um, during that time, my grandmother started an organization for men and women who are going through this uh, prosecution um, that my grandpa was going through, just started like a, a support group, a life group for them. Um, so, looking back on the story, you wonder okay, we have uh, a Christian man who is fighting for God. He is spreading his word around a communist country. His wife is doing uh, phenomenal work w- uh, building up you know, spiritual leaders around who are, who are going through the struggle. And um, where's God in this picture? How could he let this happen? 12 years in prison, threatened to take away their kids. She didn't see her kids for a year. Now, could you imagine those of you guys who have siblings just all of a sudden like, hey, yeah, I'm not going to see you for who knows how long. That's nuts. That is crazy. They had a total of, of uh, 10 kids eventually. but At the time, they had just eight kids. The youngest was eight months old, uh, and the oldest was 10. So younger than you guys in a country that's all snow and cold So yeah, you, you look at the story and think, where is God? Why does he let this happen? Plot twist. My grandfather gets out of prison for that last time. In 1990, he sees um, an ad in the newspaper um, by the American Embassy, put it in there, and they said, hey, listen, if you are being um, prosecuted for your faith, you have an opportunity to come to America on refugee passes, meaning you'd be able to come here and stay here for as long as you'd like, not just like a visitor's visa where you eventually have to go back, but stay here for as long as you like So my grandpa and my grandma were able to get them and their 10 kids over here on refugee passes, right? And at the time when this happened, um, my mom and my dad were uh, in a funny way engaged. When my dad first introduced my mom to his parents, he said, yeah, this is my fiancé. Boom, they're engaged. That's how it works. So uh, they thought, okay, cool. So they had their ceremony in Russia, and then they flew over here, dad on a visitor's visa, mom on her refugee pass, and then they got married on paper here, and dad was able to stay here. And now I'm here. (laughs) Surprise. <laughs> so I've heard this story so many times, and every time uh, I always just kind of chicken out to ask, but this time I asked, I asked my mom, Mom, what were, your tho- what were your thoughts during this time? Did you think, why, God, why? Where are you? Why aren't you helping my family out during this time? She said, no. No, I never thought that. And she said, I always knew we were going in the right direction, because in 2 Timothy 3.12, you could throw that up on the screen, Dustin, it says, in fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So that was, she said that was like a comfort to her, knowing they were going in the right direction. She said, that's where I knew God was. God was right there through that passage that entire time. Because if you look back on the story, you see, like I was saying before, you see God's fingerprints all over it, right? Had my grandfather not suffered and stayed strong in his faith, you know? If he had, if he, what, if, what if he just put his tail between his legs and ran and just went into hiding? the impact that him and my grandmother had in Russia would not have happened at all. And believe me when I say it, the impact was huge. It was massive. My grandmother, she died about 12, no, 10, 6, a long time ago. <laughs> and when we had her funeral service, there were over 3,000 people there. And probably two-thirds of them flew in from Russia. These are all families that she impacted during that time. That's crazy, right? Just like in the story of Esther, how... how uh, not being able to see, you know, things just don't seem like they're going right, start going right. And we see God's fingerprints all over the story. Just like in this story with my grandparents, you see God's fingerprints all over it. The impact they made, the protection they had, the fact that they were able to come here to America to practice their religion freely, without fear of a government telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, how to raise their kids. Just an incredible story. Uh, with my previous small group and then uh, with my current small group now, uh, I try to, you know, I always teach them that there's nothing life throws at you that you can't handle. Whatever, you know, comes your way, if it comes your way, it means that you can handle it. I was wrong. I I was wrong. I believe life throws a lot of things at you that you can't handle. Not without God. Not without His divine intervention. Not without Him having Him in the picture. Not without asking for His, uh, seeking Him and asking for His help. So, I ask you guys this question tonight. You know, what have you seen? What have you needed in your past where God has provided? Looking back, looking back on that story, my grandpa looks back on that time in his life and he sees, yep, God was there the whole time. He was there, he was there, he was there. Are you guys currently looking for his provision? Do you have trouble trusting God? If if you're not looking for his provision, could it be because you have trouble trusting God? If so, I encourage you, look for ways he has provided for you in your life, in your everyday life. I read a statistic somewhere there's a 4% chance anybody in America could have ended up in America. So out of, one, you know, out of 100 people, every four, is that right? 4% chance you would have ended up here. So there's one. Two, you woke up today. Three, you guys are surrounded by people who love each other. We all love, I love you guys. You're welcome. So I encourage you guys, look for ways that he will provide in your life. Look for ways that he does provide in your life. And when he does provide for your life, I'm going to say that again, when he does provide for your life, remember to thank him. Like the Jews celebrated Purim. It's a time of thanking him. But don't just thank him you know, once, twice a year at Christmas and Thanksgiving when everybody's watching you and asking you, oh, what are you thankful for this year? Remember to thank him always. Pray without ceasing. Be like in almost like a constant narrative dialogue with God. Even the little things. Like the Jews celebrated their deliverance from Haman's decree. Remember to thank God for everything that he's given to you guys. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up. Lord, I want to I thank you for this uh, incredible story of Esther uh, in this book. Um, just an awesome example of even when it's hard to find you uh, when you're most needed, you you are always there, Lord, and um, I pray that you you just give us all here a strength and a courage to to trust you, to seek your provision, and to always remember to thank you for everything you've done for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.